Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you know you're in the right place. We are so happy to be launching Season 7 of one of our most popular series, Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio. So welcome, everyone, and Happy New Year. It's only January 16th, and I can still say that. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We've got a great topic for you. Let's see what the buzz is today. Okay, I found this buzz in a Bright Talk webinar. I don't have an author, but it's from a webinar, and here's the Quote, as the CFO, you're the go-to source for accurate information about company performance. No excuses, no delays. Oh, my. No pressure, kids, right? So what are we talking about here? Finance organizations have changed dramatically, and I can say dynamically. Shifting from where traditionally, you know, they're looking back over their shoulder, the green eye shades down in the basement somewhere, creating look-back financial statements. Now where are they going? They're looking forward. They're helping to define the company's strategic direction. They need insights. They need analytics. They need to be looking ahead. They are stewards. They're not just reporters. Oxford Economics has found that today's successful CFOs are also collaborating with their business counterparts in the company on the operational side. That could be a new relationship builder. And CFOs are taking on a greater role in identifying risks, that terrible R-I-S-K, four-letter word. What kind of risks? Financial, supply chain, marketing, and even talent management. You're scratching your head and saying, what? All of that is on the CFO's plate now? The answer is yes. The question is, how is this all possible? Well, think tech technology, state-of-the-art technology, things like machine learning. Oh, my. We're going to find out a lot more with my special panel today. I am so happy to welcome them. They've all been on before at least a couple of times in the past few years. And let me just tell you who they are, and then we will start with their quotes. First up, in a moment, I'll be introducing you to Brian T. Kalish, Principal at Kalish Consulting. That's K-A-L-I-S-H if you want to look him up. We have Birgit Starmans, who is a Senior Director at SAP. And we have Kevin. Kevin McCollum, and my notes are disappearing here. Kevin, Kevin is a vice president in the Center of Excellence for Finance at SAP, and we will elaborate more on their title. So, Brian Kalish has sent us a quote from Malcolm Gladwell. I got it right, Brian, uh, from Blink, his book Blink, and the quote is, truly successful decision-making relies on a balance between deliberate and instinctive thinking, and I am scratching my red head saying to myself, how does this apply to CFOs? Brian Kalish, Welcome. Happy New Year. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for having me on this morning. We are thrilled to have you always. You always have so much to say. So talk to me. Gladwell, is the CFO blinking when he hears this quote? What do you think, Brian? Well, it, you know, it's fascinating. First of all, I'm a huge, huge uh, uh, fan of Malcolm. Um, but it's, you know, the idea that, you know, we, we spend a lot of time saying about, you know, all these tools that we need to implement, all these new philosophies. But, you know, if you've read Blink, I mean, one of the things that's fascinating is that oftentimes our instinct is actually correct. So what I spend a lot of my time doing as we look at uh, increasing performance, it's taking the instinct 
and putting the tools, processes, procedures around them to improve it. So for me, the CFO's office is not to plug one of my favorite authors other than Malcolm, uh, Michael Lewis with Moneyball. And the whole idea is mm-hmm. that you take people's gut instinct that has worked for 100, 200 years, but how can we make it better? How can we verify it? How can we look for opportunities um, that we may not have been able to see before, but also looking at challenges that uh, may exist? So why I liked uh, Mr. Gladwell's quote so much, it's you have to take the business experience, what people know, the instinctive element, and put that on top of these fantastic tools that we have coming down the pike. So whether it's artificial intelligence, machine learning, adopting philosophies like uh, dynamic planning, on-the-fly modeling, it's just, it's not one or the other. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's, uh, as we often see, is that one plus one doesn't equal two, it equals three, four, or five, because we're taking the best parts of both sides, the instinctive and the deliberate, and coming out with a better product than we would have had had we not used both sides. Thank you, Brian. And I, I want to hark back just a moment ago to my opening. I was talking about the change in direction, the shift in the function in the requirements for today's CFO. And I'm wondering, do you agree with all of that? And our CFO saying, wow, we get to really be part of things and we're not just sitting down in that back office moving old reports around. Are they excited? Are they saying now we can use more of our brain power? We can be part of something bigger? How are they responding to what they're doing. Is this good news or bad? I think it's great news. I think it's, it's, it's firing up CFOs to come in. You know, it, it is not, certainly it isn't where we were 10 or 20 years ago where it was, you know, get the financials right and that's all I need. It is really moving from the stern of the ship to the bridge. And instead of like looking at the wake and then trying to divine where we're heading, actually mm-hmm. getting up on the bridge looking ahead, scanning the horizon, looking uh, for maybe the storms on the horizon that we need to adjust to. But no, I think, I think people are much more fired up to get up in the morning and go to work um, as a CFO than where you were 5, 10, certainly 20 years ago. That sounds exciting, and it sounds like it might even attract younger people into the profession, and we can talk about that later. Thank you, Brian. Great kickoff to our topic. And now let's welcome back another frequent guest on the series, Birgit Starmans at SAP. And Birgit has sent us a interesting quote from Albert Einstein, not the usual one, and I like this one a lot, Birgit. Here's the quote. Einstein said, the human spirit must prevail over technology. Happy New Year to you, Birgit. How have you been? I've been great. Thank you, Bonnie, and Happy New Year to you, too. Thank you so much. We can still say that. It's not the end of January yet. So, And we're still going to do predictions, whether we like it or not, at the end of the show. Birgit, this is an interesting quote. I don't think anybody has used this in, you know, we have so many Einstein quotes, and after a while I say, please, another one. And you said to me, no, Bonnie, this is different. So tell me how you found this one, and how does it relate to the new world of tech-savvy CFOs? Well, I've always been fascinated by Einstein. He's actually from my hometown in Germany, in Ulm. And I've certainly been uh, guilty of sending you many Einstein quotes, but I really liked this one. It spoke to me uh, because we talk a lot about technology, but we don't want to do technology just for technology's sake. Uh, We want to use technology, and I think this is very appropriate to the show, we want to use technology in order to support business processes and support, for example, better decision-making. But just to say, oh, I've got this great new technology and I'm, I'm going to use it just because it's cool, well, 
how is it helping you run your business better? How is it helping you make decisions better? And then the other thing is, if you think about all of these movies where computers take over, right, and humans have no say, I mean, at the end of the day, the computer can make a suggestion. But as Brian was saying in in quoting Blink, uh, we still need to trust our gut and we still need to apply some of our human logic. And sometimes that can't be quantified in technology. So while a computer can give us options, can give us suggestions, can help us model and you know, figure out what the financial impact is of a, of a business decision, ultimately it's going to be the human that has to make that decision based on some other factors that may not be quantifiable. So we really, have, we really can't take the human part of the decision-making out of the process. So computers can help us, technology can help us, and instead of spending a lot of time running the numbers so that we can get to that point to make a decision, we get that information really in the blink of an eye, but then we still need to apply our own logic and look at our environment, look at what's going on in the world of what is really the best decision and apply that logic. Thank you, Birgit. Very well put. And do you agree with Brian Kalish that it's an exciting time for CFOs and anybody in finance? I think it's a very exciting time, and it does mean that there's going to be some change management involved because whereas finance previously was just running the numbers and being more backward-looking, there's going to be some change management and some new skills, but that also means that folks in the finance department can expand their horizon and become more broad in order to collaborate with those other business units. So it's very exciting, and I would say that... uh, a lot of the new millennials that are going into the workforce, they're very used to technology. So by taking that away, if we don't provide technology in order for them to do their jobs, um, they would not want to be part of a finance team. So we really need to be with the time. So it's extremely exciting. Good. Glad to hear that. Thank you so much. And welcome back. And now, Kevin McCollum at the COE of Finance at SAP. And Kevin has sent us a quote from Tom Peters. I love this quote because it applies to so many disciplines, Kevin, but very much to the role of the CFO, especially if we're combining, as Birgit and Einstein said, that human spirit with technology and trying to get different disciplines into getting the job done. And the quote is, test fast, fail fast, adjust fast. And if anybody doesn't know who Tom Peters is, he was born in 1942, still around, American writer on business management practices, best known for his book, In Search of Excellence, which he co-authored with Robert H. Waterman Jr. So test fast, fail fast, adjust fast. Kevin McCollum, welcome back and Happy New Year to you. How are you? Happy New Year, Bonnie. I'm doing great. Good. So talk to me. How about the quote? Well, you you, uh, you read my mind. That quote really applies to a lot of disciplines in it, every pretty much every bit discipline in business. But where it really, um, you know, the corollary to that quote that Tom Peters didn't say is um, failure for failure's sake is is not an end uh, that you want to pursue. And really, the the message in there is that. In any enterprise, in any innovation, in any new uh, major new investment, uh, in just managing day-to-day operations, you have to have a forward look. You have to understand where you want to go, and you have to understand. You have to track your progress towards that. So that that's a that's incorporates the forward-looking insights that 
the C-suite and the enterprise are coming to the CFO for. I mean, I think I said in one of my roundtable um, discussion points mm-hmm. that um, the buck literally stops in the finance department and businesses looking to finance to help evaluate alternative objectives to help select the prop- the right objective and to steer the organization in that direction with deep insights that are now possible to in, in aligning with the Einstein quote from Birgit to apply that unquantifiable human touch to decision-making and make the right decisions for the enterprise, but do it with the best possible insight you can have. And that's a recipe for success, not failure for failure's sake. Now, let me ask you something, um, Kevin, in the, in the realm of finance today, how often is it possible for somebody to quote unquote fail? Now, I know we talk about that a lot when we discuss design thinking, when we discuss startups, when we discuss places where there is innovation is the capital I front and center in front of everybody. Yeah, you've got to listen. You've got to learn. You can't make the same mistake over and over again, but you need to learn from your mistakes. How much leeway is there if you said to somebody on their way up the ladder, well, we don't have corporate ladders anymore, whatever they're calling it, I don't know, the mountain or whatever, the rock climb, uh, whatever they're calling it, how, how much leeway is there to that testing and failing, or is that just for the IT people supporting? I'm going in a circle here. you got to bail me out. Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, no, uh, so so it goes back to the, uh, you know, uh, I hate to keep going back, but um, the concept of failure for failure's sake not being uh, not being viable is also the concept that you have to fail within a set of boundaries to yes. find the 5,000 ways not to build, make a light bulb, right? But mm-hmm. if you're just taking, taking random shots in the dark and um, not moving toward an objective, even if the, moving toward an objective is finding one of the ways not to build the better light bulb or the better mousetrap, there's room for it. And there has to be that room for it in the culture. And once again, the boundaries... The, 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 the test and adjust can, mm-hmm. um, can all be greatly facilitated and must. Every, every good um, project, every good investment must start with a, finan- a view, financial view of where you want to end up and continually evaluate your progress towards that. So that helps put the guardrails into a bounded um, investment bounded innovation session or a bounded innovation uh, pursuit and then failing within those boundaries keeps you headed in the right direction yeah i love pundits who 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 say you got to be ready to fail but peters puts more to it he says you got to be able to test fail test adjust and you've got to be able to do it within boundaries in the pursuit of an objective and an objective that's financially quantified with good strong insights Thank you. Thank you for indulging my question. I appreciate it. I, I think that's what I needed to know. So we always think about what what's making the headlines, right? Whose mistakes are getting into the headlines when it comes to the dollar sign. So thank you for the boundary comment. And now let's circle back around the table to Brian T. Kalish. Brian, my usual questions, where are you calling from today? And we have two options on the what's in your cup. It could either be what you're drinking right now, or it could be three actually. What you're drinking right now, what you'd rather be drinking later, or what did you drink over the holidays that really made you smile? Brian? 
Ah, well, uh, you, you caught me in transit, as, as you know, I, I travel quite a bit, uh, not only here in North America, but around the world. So I'm off to beautiful St. Louis uh, later today. Um, the, love the city. Unfortunately, the windshield currently is negative 21, so it's not fine Woo-hoo-hoo. for me to go there so much, but uh, I'm sure uh, I, I will be fine staying indoors. Um, what I'm drinking right now is water, uh, which isn't terribly exciting. But what I did get to enjoy over the holidays, and in, without sounding incredibly snobbish, A, you know <laughs> I'm a port fan, but I found yes. very interesting. I found crusted port. So what? I had a Fonseca uh, 2006 crusted. And, and, and all it means is crusted is it, it lacks filtration. And so you just have to decanter uh, the, the, the port uh, before you drink it. Uh, but it's really nice. It, obviously, port goes wonderfully with dessert. Uh, and I enjoyed a beautiful creme brulee uh, with the, with the uh, crusted port. Um, so uh, that was uh, one of the highlights of the, of the holidays. Wow, I looked it up. It says, Know Your Port, Decanter, Crusted Port, Bottle-Aged Ports. There's one from Graham's. I don't know Graham's. Oh, it must be a, a port vendor. Port Graham's? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Port.com. Well, good for me. Not my side of the family. Crusted port is a peculiarly British invention and is rarely seen, it says at the top of Google. It is produced by British port shippers to provide wines with a similar style to vintage port, but quicker. This is a very fine non-vintage ruby port they're showing. Does that sound familiar? Very, that's spot on. Okay, I'm glad. I'm pretty good at looking things up and reading right off the page, Brian. Thank you so much. And you're our port guy. We know to go. To, we don't go to Starboard. We know to go to port. And now let's go to Birgit. Birgit, where are you calling from today, please? And what was in your cup over the holidays, or what? What are you drinking now? Well, I'm calling in from California, and therefore I am drinking iced tea. While that's normally a summer drink, it is fairly warm here. Actually, over the weekend I was in LA where it was. Almost 80 degrees. So before ah. anybody comes to shoot me, it's, it's about 15 <laughs> degrees cooler in the Palo Alto area right now. But still, I thought that iced tea with a lemon slice in it was warranted. But the more interesting story is over the holidays. As you know, I'm from Germany. And one of my favorite times of the year is to be in Christmas markets in Germany, where basically you have different mulled wine stands. So basically, it's warm red wine with different mulling spices, and it's really mm. delicious. And over the holidays in California, I actually found a wine bar that did mulled wine, and it's not too sweet. So I relived some of those times in the Christmas markets in Germany. And in the Christmas markets, every stand has a slightly different recipe. So it's always fun to go from stand to stand and figure out which one you like the best. But this particular wine bar... They got it right, and they're actually still serving the mulled wine. They said until the end of February, so I can extend the Christmas season if I would like. But it's just really nice when it's a little bit chilly outside. You've got something yeah. warm in your hand. It's very delicious, and it just really brings the Christmas season and the Christmas spirit into you because it's really more about connecting with family and friends and, and colleagues versus just going out on a buying spree. And that's really the intention of the Christmas market. And for me, that mulled wine has always been a symbol of that. How lovely. You you just said something beautiful, Birgit. I just want to stop and go to a Christmas market. I used to live in Eugene, Oregon, and we used to have uh, we used to have a like a I want to say a Shakespearean fair, but that wasn't it. Elizabethan fair, and we used to have a market downtown in an old, I guess it was an old granary building, and vendors would show their wares. We had a lot of people who made handmade pottery and candle makers, and it was always fun around the winter holidays. 
place, Birgit, to go there to this building and the Christmas spirit was everywhere. And just, it wasn't necessarily, as you say, about buying, but you'd go with friends and you'd see what the vendors had. And there was that lovely old-fashioned getting together for a purpose and maybe doing some shopping. Am I, am I hitting the right spots there? You're hitting the right spot because at these Christmas fairs, everything is handmade. So you get Christmas decorations, you get ah. little calendars, um, even handmade jewelry. And actually, that, that brings up a point, and I have not done this, and I've been in the San Francisco area since 1997. We have something called the Dickens Fair. And it sounds that was like it. That was season. it. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. So the, the Dickens Fair at the, at the Cow Palace, and I still have not gone. And I think next year I'm going to put that on my list of things to do. So while it's not German, I think it's the same spirit and exactly what you were it is. talking about. You're going to go and you're going to tell me about it. Thank you, boy. Talk about connecting. That was great. Thank you. The Dickens Fair. That was it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I don't have any of the <laughs> flower pots and and uh, things I bought there, but there were some beautiful, beautiful pieces there, and the candles were delicious. No, I don't remember the wine. Okay, and let's move on to Kevin McCollum. Kevin, where are you today, and what are you drinking, or what do you remember about a holiday beverage you'd like to share? I'm in Las Vegas, uh, getting prepared for some business meetings here. Um, and, of course, Birgit had to go to the 80 degrees. Um, my experience <laughs> over the holidays was much more like living in the upper Midwest was much more like what Brian will experience. It was about... 85 degrees cooler for the entire holiday season. <laughs> yeah. um, Do the math. There, there is a tieback. Do, do you know there is a, a Dickensian tieback to everything we're talking about? I saw the Christmas Carol over the holidays, and Bob Cratchit, the CFO of uh, Scrooge and Marley, um, we've come a long way from the days of Bob Cratchit sitting by a coal-burning stove. Doing the accounts, so I couldn't resist. What I <laughs> what I had over the holidays that was just wonderful. I am not a whiskey drinker, but um, on a whim, I just went out and bought a a bottle of Jim Beam Distillers Cut. Uh, I don't know why I did. I read an article that said if you ever wanted to try a smooth whiskey, get this, and I did. And so this is not a paid promotional announcement for Jim Beam, but that's okay. And uh, again, I don't think I'll soon become a whiskey drinker, uh, but uh, Mm -hmm. this was a really nice, nice drink over the holiday. Well, nice and warming in that in minus five. Minus five. Well, I'm in Durham, North Carolina now, and uh, we are only a couple of degrees warmer than New York, which has been hearing, been seeing a lot of chill. We are expecting snow again this week, I think tomorrow. We don't get a lot, but it reminds me of home in New York, and it's not so bad. But I have to tell you, Kevin, I did a quick look up. You're not surprised, of course. Here's a review of Jim Beam, Jim Beam B-E-A-M, Distiller's Cut from DrinkHacker.com. Jim Beam never seems to get tired of putting out new products. Jim Beam Distillers Cut, not to be confused with their Distillers Masterpiece, Distillers Series, or Devil's Cut, okay, thanks for that, is a new limited edition bourbon that actually does carry an age statement of five to six years. Is that the right one? That's the one. That's the one. There you go. Still good on the list. 
I'll, if I ever decide to try bourbon, I will let you know how that was. I used to have a friend in Oregon who loved Jim Beam. He had a cord, drove a Cordoba, and he was a Jim Beam kind of guy. There you go. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what the cologne was, too. You know, those seem to go together. Anyway, we are having a very, very lively discussion about what was going on for the holidays with three very smart people. Our topic is serious. It's a topic that needs to be addressed because its time has come. Finance leadership ready to be a tech-savvy CFO. And I think we can change the title a little bit, lady and gentlemen. I think we can change it to, is your company ready for a tech-savvy CFO? Or how long has your company been waiting for a tech-savvy CFO? The time has come. That's my statement. We're going to take a quick break. We're speaking today with Brian T. Kalish, Birgit Starmans, and Kevin McCollum. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. And if you ask me what that means, even I'm not sure. So we're going to go for about 90 seconds. And when we come back, we will start our roundtable in earnest with some statements from Brian Kalish, and then we will go around and around the table. A lot more to come. This is important to you. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4HANA, powered by SAP, is a part of SAP S4HANA, the next-generation business suite. SAP S4HANA Finance draws upon innovative, in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common, secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4HANA Finance at SAP.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers. Exactly. We're talking about coming of age. The CFO, is he or she tech savvy? Do they know how to be? Do they want to be? Do they understand why they need to be? And what does their company have to say about it? We're speaking with Brian T. Kalish, with Birgit Starmans, and with Kevin McCollum. We're going to kick off the roundtable with some notes from Mr. Kalish. And let me read a little and then have him add. So Brian says, as with many corporate processes, Technology is driving fundamental changes in FP&A, and I'll ask you again to tell us exactly what those letters mean. And he adds, thanks to a new generation of tools, the drudgery factor is lessening and practitioners are spending more of their time doing actual planning and analysis. And that's a fortunate development, not just for FP&A professionals, but also for the companies they work for. And that statement, Brian, has encapsulated everything I was trying to say when I was doing permutations on the topics. So it's all yours. Brian Kalish, talk to me. So thank you, Bonnie. So FP&A, financial planning and analysis, um, 
that's what I spend a lot of my time on. And, and really the idea here is that um, technology has just completely changed our world. I mean, if you look at where we were 20 years ago, and you use one of my little stories, as I, I'm, of, I'm of a vintage that I remember when the 386 processor came out, we were told that's as fast as computers were ever going to be. Um, so now we've moved to this world that we have these tremendous tools that give us great insight uh, into our data. We can pull our actuals in live time. And what it's all about is we can just take this huge portion of the work that people have historically done and moved it off their table through automation, through IA, through machine learning, and it's not getting rid of the humans. I think there was a reference earlier talking about, you know, um, you know, basically the computers taking over or the robots mm-hmm. taking over, but it's having the machines do the drudgery and really unleashing the firepower of the CFO's office and folks in FP&A to really spend their time on seeing what's going on in live time so that we can adjust the direction of the organization. Um, again, the rate of change and the magnitude of change continues to increase. And so we have to have the tools, the people, the processes in place that you can have the best batting average because that's what it's all about. It's not about being perfect. No model is perfect. No prediction is perfect. But those organizations that become the best at predicting, the best at also adjusting. There's two sides of that coin that I spent a lot of time with. Should we be better at predicting the future or should we be better at reacting? Well, it's all about information. So you got to start with that data, convert it to information, transform that into knowledge to help us make those better, smarter, faster decisions so that we can thrive as an organization. And here we are early in the 21st century. And that, I think, is really going to differentiate the winners from the losers going forward. Thank you very much, Brian. Great kickoff to this part of the show. And Ms. Starmans, why don't we get your thoughts on this? Agree or disagree? Um, I completely agree. And it's it goes back to that whole idea of not just technology for technology's sake, but really using technology in order to make those decisions. And Brian mentioned some things about being able to predict, not only having insights in real time, but being able to use that and predict and really coming up with different parameters. Um, what are really your value drivers in your business? What are your profitability drivers? And being able to drill down into more detail. And that's something that in terms of finance collaborating more with other lines of business, looking not just at the financial information, but then also taking a look at some of the um, more specific, not just at the account level, but, you know, which customers are we talking about? Which products are we talking about? Which geographies are we talking about? And being able to combine them. You know, is it a customer geography issue that we're having? Is it a product slash geography issue that we're having? So being able to go into lower levels of detail also helps with that collaboration that we're seeing with finance collaborating more with other lines of business. So I would completely agree with Brian's statements. Thank you very much. Kevin McCollum, you don't have to, but I have a feeling I know what you're going to say. Kevin, what do you think? I agree with uh, Brian and Birgit wholeheartedly. I'll add one aspect that I think um, needs to be touched on as well. One of the things that technology and a tech-savvy finance organization, um, because in finance organizations that you know, I know Birgit and I have worked with uh, a number of large finance organizations um, on projects together. 
it's executives throughout the finance ranks, um, vice presidents of finance, right through, you know, finance area managers that are becoming much more tech savvy and actually taking tech ideas to both the IT department and the CFO and driving, which is the way it should be, driving the tech towards um, helping them make better business decisions. And one of the key areas that is opened with the ability or with with the um, bandwidth and capacity that technology gives you to look at the world around you and make sense of it is the aspect of risk. There's so much data today about your suppliers, your customers, the countries you're dealing with, the governments you're dealing with, your past performance, your peer performance, benchmarking, and things like that, that can help you take a look at risks that while you might not be able to control those risks, you can certainly factor those risks in your decision and uh, put an avoidance pattern in, or I'm sorry, an avoidance strategy into those risks. So the area of risk has, you're no longer making decisions within the vacuum of your own organization and corporate culture. You're able to look at your external environment and determine what impact that's going to have on your plans. So the area of risk, I've seen a growth in the finance area where they're embracing risk. We had this discussion last year, Bonnie. They're embracing risk, factoring it into their plans, knowing that that's going to help them get ahead of competitors who haven't planned for the risk and are bumping their heads into into brick walls because they didn't take the time to consider risk. So this is another huge enabler that technology has made available to the finance organization to help direct the business plans. And Kevin, is this part of the excitement of being in this profession today, the fact that you can help the help the company understand risk and, and expect it and predict it and cope with it and make workarounds for it? Is this something that people say, yes, look what I did, look how I helped? What do you think? Yes, you you pegged it. You pegged me right uh, um I'm I'm a I'm a, a bleeding heart altruist, um right <laughs> right to the core that honestly is looking you know, to, uh, came out of college 35 years ago with a mission to help make the world a better place. And, you know, that's, that's not just, you know, run simple and um, the taglines at SAP, um, and again, not a commercial for SAP, but the taglines mm-hmm. at SAP are things we do actually live by, and I take them to heart quite a bit. And it's, it's, it's really been rewarding, I think, for all of us, I think I can speak for all of us on this call, to be part of that transition transformation of the world today to, to, to take the scary out of the world by realizing risk and to help move society forward. No questions. Thank you. And that's a, a heartfelt statement from you, Kevin McCollum, I know. And that's probably uh, quite a surprise for some of our listeners because we think of cold, hard numbers and that number crunching and those repetitive tasks and uh, we, we used to think C, CPAs, I'm going to use that term, didn't have a heart and didn't have a sense of humor, and they just put those numbers out and got them out on time, and you're trying to say that there's more to it, and I think that's very refreshing, and I thank you for, for that uh, very from-the-heart statement, so I appreciate that. Let's go back around the table. Uh, Brian, anything you want to wrap up on this one? No, I think uh, uh, my uh, my panelists have done a, a fine job of uh, elaborating. Um, so, no, I will pass it along to our uh, 
Pass the baton. Okay. Birgit, you're up next, and I'm looking at your notes here, and you are citing in your notes to me a study from Oxford Economics last year in 2017. It's called How Finance Leadership Pays Off, involving their study of more than 1,500 CFOs, and they found, and I quoted a piece of this in my opening, collaboration is a true differentiator. So you want to talk about this collaboration, Birgit? You say almost all CFOs collaborate closely with GRC, internal audit, compliance, and operations. Let's talk about the leadership qualifications here. Birgit? Sure, definitely. And this is actually a very exciting study. Um, In the past, we worked with another organization, um, CFO.com, and it was interesting. In 2013, finance leaders knew that technology was on the horizon, but they were still very skeptical about it. Um, They were very reserved, so they were not certainly not the first, first team to jump on the bandwagon. By 2014, they had started embracing some of these technologies. Um, they became more comfortable with things like cloud, with things like mobile. But uh, by 2015, we saw that they were starting to really embrace it and saw that their own organizations were transforming. So the exciting thing about, about the Oxford study in 2017, we are really now seeing finance having fully embraced technology. Um, they are now seeing that the the technologies that are coming on the horizon, such as blockchain, such as artificial intelligence and machine learning, are going to be the standard tools going forward. So they do realize that there are still a lot of developments that are happening. But the collaboration piece is really the most interesting. So if we look at, look at those 1,500-plus CFOs, um, we actually are finding that those CFOs that are collaborating are the ones that actually are making a real mark on the bottom line, and those are the fastest-growing companies and, in most cases, um, the most profitable companies most profitable companies that we spoke to. And it's not just collaboration collaboration with GRC and with CIOs. We're finding that this is expanding beyond this, just the operational and the risk and, and technology areas, but we're finding that they're now collaborating with things like marketing, with uh, customer service. So this is really going beyond um, just collaboration with what we considered the financing risk realm, but also with the marketing, with the sales, with the service, um, also getting involved in things like supply chain. So finance is really driving, making strategic direct, uh, directions um, and driving those strategies for their organizations. And one of my favorite examples is usually the mergers and acquisitions, M&A. So yeah, a company might want to acquire a company. Well, what are the different companies that they could acquire? What would that look like? Or would it be better if they created their own product and built it up from scratch? So being able to model those kinds of things using predictive engines, and finance is able to do that because they now have the technologies that help them automate getting those numbers out so they have more time for such value-added activities. So that's really very refreshing to see that it's not just number crunching, but it's really driving strategy and collaborating with other executives and with other teams. Thank you, Birgit. I want to hark back to your quote from Albert Einstein, the human spirit must prevail over technology. When you use the word collaboration, even in reference to this Oxford Economic Study from 2017, I'm hearing a very human trait coming out because collaboration means you have to get out of your shell. You have to get out of your silo. You have to do something with somebody else. Maybe you have to be the one to initiate the breaking down of those walls. So would you say this is a perfect example of the human spirit prevailing over, well, we've got a bunch of tech, we'll do this. No, Let's talk to other people in the company and see what needs to be done. How can finance be part of that? So would you say that's a good example? What? Talk to other people? (laughs) 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 
<laughs> oh, that's <laughs> a good one, dear. Cubicle number crunching. Yes, we, we actually <laughs> need to go out and talk to people. And it's interesting because I think finance is really driving getting those other departments together. Because if you look at various departments, marketing is going to say, well, how many people did we reach in our campaign? Sales is going to say, well, how many times did we convert that, that lead? Um, production is going to say, well, we're going to produce this number of, of widgets um, with maybe without talking to sales and marketing to see whether or not they're even marketing that particular widget. So being able to bring those things together, yes, putting a number around that in terms of the financial bottom line, that might help drive decisions, but it's really where those other areas come together because you'd hate to have production produce widget A. Meanwhile, marketing is marketing widget B, and sales is really mm-hmm. trying to close the deal on widget number C. So being able to talk to one another will really help drive efficiencies, but then will also help drive the bottom line. So putting numbers around it is great, but actually discussing those different options and doing those what-if analysis, I think it's really key. And it does involve talking to people, not just sending emails or you know, sending around spreadsheets, but it is really a discussion. Thank you. And the human part. That's what I wanted to bring up. Thank you. Kevin McCollum, love to get your thoughts on the, the collaboration word and anything else that Birgit talked about from this study. What do you observe? You know, Birgit makes an outstanding point. And, you know, it's, it's interesting for me to hear discussion about what I just thought of a name for a great book, and I'm not going to trademark it or anything. Feel free, you know, anybody can feel free to write it. Brian, you write it. Um, finance. What is it? <laughs> either it's fi- it's either finance ascending or finance reascending. I I started at an organization where finance was actually kind of finance's evil twin. It was really the the the, the bean counters who were scoring everybody and then hitting them over the head with their scorecards. The way to bring, first of all, technology is enabling finance to take on a much larger scope. I'll I'll call the, the 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 bets that have been made so far that finance is taking on you know responsibility for risk and or is um, quantifying risk, quantifying plans, quantifying operations. They're also taking over a lot of the responsibility. I see chief risk officers moving underneath the finance office. I see hmm. IT where which was where it was in my first job back under the CFO because it's such an important, the the CFO and the finance area are the platform for analytics in the organization. The way you beat, the the way you break down those walls is through that collaboration and the technology enables the collaboration too. Not, Not to make it all about technology, but if we're all looking at the same set of numbers, and those numbers are relevant to operations. That you know, operations data isn't often another set of technology and um, planning's uh, product planning and engineering is often another set of data. If it's all, if you're looking at the same data and you're talking about it and you're understanding operations, sales, what their issues are, what they're dealing with, what they're com- what they're com- what were they're competing with, what some of the design trends are out in, out in the world. A finance department, a CFO, can truly be, get the, become an empathetic consolidator of that information. Yes, it's all towards the end of coming up with a scorecard, but if you're collaborating and not just interrogating, you're actually building a plan, building a financial outlook that the rest of the organization will buy into because they had input into it, and the tools can enable that. 
from looking at the same set of data to collaborating electronically because, Lord, I know most executives and even operations people in, the, in our global economy are flying all over the place and they need tools to be able to collaborate while they're on the road. So the technology is really creating, the technology is really creating opportunities in collateral areas that make collaboration the great uh, unifier and creating a wider scope for the finance department to evaluate and direct companies' business. If you don't want a big scope, if you don't want to wear the big pants, don't come to finance because finance is reascending. Great title for the book. Uh, I think we'll help you self-publish it if you can't find somebody because it's got to go out there quickly, Kevin. My question to you is, is this something that, I don't want to use the word, I'll call it long timers in the finance area. Do they get this? Is this hard for them? Is this a change management, go take a class on how to talk to people? Birgit made a joke about that. Is this something that millennials are bringing in as a mindset or is this something that's a trainable moment for you've got the tools now, damn it, sit down with those people and talk about it? How is it going to happen? Just quickly, and I want to make sure we get time for Brian and Birgit to weigh in on that yep. point. Kevin? I honestly believe that um, long-term finance professionals get it. Uh, they may be a little crusted, like Brian's port, but <laughs> once you break through the crust and they see the true enablers of new business processes, new financial processes, uh, enabled by the technology, not created by, but enabled by the technology, you see that spark start to come alive and they say, well, this isn't just green eye shades anymore. This is truly being a business partner. Okay. Brian Kalish, love to get your thoughts on this. Mindset, trainable moment, how do we get people to collaborate? Is it just something that comes in with younger generations? I use that word with quotes around it advisedly. Or is it something that uh, everybody is getting the message about this? What do you see? Oh, definitely. I think it's the message that people, you know, are getting. I mean, to to, to Kevin's point, you know, it's 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 tougher for some folks that you know lived in a world of, of bean counting and financial report generating. Um, but if you look at the world today, you know, I really and I try to keep things as simple as possible. You know, for me, you know, what a really good finance FP&A person is is a financial acumen, b communications, and c a business acumen. And the way you get the business acumen to, to echo the points made is, is cooperating, collaborating. You have to understand what the company does. I mean, at the end of the day, finance is a support function other than financial services organizations. We're in there to help the organization run itself better. And so you have to understand. So some folks that have really kind of gotten cut in edge uh, and, I'll, and I'll give a couple examples, like Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Starbucks takes their FP&A people and will put them in stores so that they actually understand what the organization does. J&J in their medical devices, one of the people that I've worked with, not only do they send the people to uh, manufacturing, is they actually send them to surgery so that you actually understand what the organization is trying to do so that when you are bringing your best efforts and skills from the financial side, you can really help them make these better, smarter business decisions. Um, but also on the communications point is I almost argue, you know, finance people and FP&A folks almost have to be like comedians because you have to be able to read your audience. You know, what plays in Durham may not necessarily play in New York City. <laughs> and so you have to understand when you're talking to HR, when you're talking to a business union, you're manufacturing, you've got to understand how they consume information. You really take on the role of a teacher um, 
not saying do it this way, but to be able to explain it. Very well put. And yes, I did do stand up here about two months after I arrived. I was asked to open for a comedian and uh, I dusted off an old New York Long Island routine of mine, Brian, and it played pretty well, but some of them had a little hard time getting it. So you used a very interesting example as though you knew what I was going to say or I knew what you were going to say. Thank you. Birgit, trainable moment. Where does this collaboration come from? Is it a gene that's coming into the finance workforce in the form of millennials or is it something that that uh, tried and true professionals in finance who've been around for, let's just kindly say decades, are are able to bend their rules and say, yes, Birgit, we will talk to people. Where do you think it's coming from? I think millennials are helping to drive it, but I think one of the reasons that previously there was not as much um, embracing of new technologies is that age-old job security. Right? Don't change things because this is the way that I can keep my job because this is the way that I've always done things. Uh-huh. And yeah, finance had a big stake in that, and I think IT often has a big stake in that too. Don't give me a new technology because I have job security doing it this way. Well, that's not the way things work anymore. And on the consumer side, everybody typically, even finance people, on the personal side have a smartphone, have a tablet, have have other kinds of technologies that they interact with. So it's actually job security now to embrace it and be able to do that. Um, I do think that it's trainable, but I think it's not just say go to one class and then go talk to people. I think communications training, speech training, all those things, just like training for sports, it's, it's going to take time. It's not just going to one class. So that needs to be an ongoing effort. In, in order to really have finance embrace that, but we're definitely seeing finance embrace that. And I want to pick up on something that Kevin said earlier about Real fast, because we're ready numbers. for predictions. Have- Can you turn this into your prediction, Birgit? Because we're there right now. Can you make your prediction okay. right now? <laughs> I Go ahead, you're up. Prediction. You're uh, up. Yes, One minute. We're going to see, see finance um, really going forward and embracing new technologies. As the Oxford study says, some of these technologies, such as machine learning, um, AI, they're really embracing them as what they're going to be needing tomorrow. So while they're right now just saying, oh, this is on the horizon, they will be embracing it. They, they are going to see them as, as core tools, just as Excel used to be a core tool. Um, it is now new technologies that are going to be our core tools. And I think we're going to see a continuing growth in that. Thank you. Brief and to the point. Appreciate that. And Brian Kalish, I'll circle back to you and then we'll go to Kevin. What do you see? I can give you a whole, oh my goodness, 90 seconds, Mr. Kalish. All yours. Well, I think the biggest thing is that you have to look at the, the change that we're going to see over the next three, five, ten years is probably much greater than what we can conceive. And so I think that those, especially in finance, that can think as broadly and as widely as possible, again, are going to be those that, that succeed. I mean, you, if you think about, you know, we're moving to a world of smart houses and we're moving to a world of autonomous cars. And it's not, you know, and those are incredible changes, but you really have to look at what the second, third, and fourth derivative from those are. So, for example, in, in one of the speeches that I give, you know, we talk about, you know, automated cars, automated trucks. Well, the number one job in America is driving. And so thinking about what are those implications, off all of a sudden you're not going to need those folks doing those jobs. So bringing that into the company, the way that we do things today is going to be very different tomorrow and next week and next year and three years. And so it's really developing the skill 
to change. So I encourage everyone to go out, get Spencer Johnson's Who Moved My Cheese, love it, embrace it. But again, those organizations that embrace change are going to be the ones that succeed because I think that the rate, pace, magnitude of change is going to be much greater than what we can anticipate. Wow. That's a, that, is it going to draw people to the profession, Brian, or is it going to repel them? I think it's going to be an opportunity. I, I, I think, you know, it, it, folks that want change, this is where to be. I think, and I think it was mentioned by other panelists earlier, if you want to have a nice, slow, stable, things aren't changing world, finance is not going to be for you. Um, you've got to be ah. able to be comfortable with uncertainty. Okay, that's a little different from the previous reputation. Thank you. And Kevin McCollum, I saved 90 seconds for you for predictions. All yours. Thanks. Well, I mean, what, what an exciting time. You know, uh, Brian was, uh, Brian actually read my mind a little there. Um, it's a short story anyway, but um, the, uh, I, w- I was thinking about uh, automation and the rap it gets for um, getting rid of jobs. No, it's, a, it's a, an exciting um, chance to upskill, to, as Brian said, embrace change, but do it with uh, the, the reassurance that it's all around us, and now you can deal with it on its own terms, understand it, and exploit it. So a great opportunity to automate the things that should be automated, to free people up, to free mind power up, to work on advancing their business, their enterprise, and advancing society. There I go being an altruist again. I like that. There's nothing wrong with that, and our listeners may be very surprised, but they'll just have to get used to it because we'll probably have you back to do more of that later in the year. So there, Kevin, that that serves you right. I want to thank the three of you. I'm always amazed when we have a lively conversation about a topic that a lot of people say, oh, God, finance, what are they going to talk about now? And these tend to be very, Birgit, you agree, these shows tend to be very lively, a lot of passion, um, a lot of optimism about the future. Birgit, yes or no? Uh, definitely, and that's one of the reasons I love doing these, and and I love the way that you organize them, Bonnie. It's it's oh, you're sweet. Very exciting to have a lively panel like this, and I love the fact that we can feed off each other. So definitely very Good. exciting. I wasn't looking for a compliment, but I'll take it. So I want to thank Brian T. Kalish, Birgit Starmans, Kevin McCollum, uh, Chris Grundy, our hero who put this all together. He did, he did, he did. Chris, it worked out great. As always, this is a season launch, and I'm thrilled to say that Chris is our longest-running series for Financial Excellence with Game Changers, longest-running besides my flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers. And this series, Financial Excellence, is among our top three most popular last year. For all of our series, we had about 28 all together, we had almost, I'm going to just come right out and say it, we had inching up toward a million listeners last year in one year all over the world to all of our series, and this was one of the top three this series. So very, very proud to be here and to launch season seven. There you go. Thank you to our, he loves when I say this, our fearless engineer, Aaron Keller at World Talk Radio and the Business Channel team, and a shout out to Ryan Treasure, who is so helpful in getting everything done. If all of you haven't heard, I'm now the voiceover for SAP's Digitalist Flash Briefings, so you can say to your Alexa, I have to whisper or she'll answer me in the other room, uh, just say to Alexa, what's the news today? And she may just bring up the Alexa skill. There she is in the other room. And you'll hear me giving some voiceovers, doing voiceovers of articles from SAP's Digitalist. So it's time for our uh, speed talking host to give you the call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? It's a new year. 
Don't wait. Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Be back 11 a.m. Eastern tomorrow. Business Channel for Predictions Part 5, 2018, the final episode of our five-part prediction show. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.